Welcome to the first legislative forum in a series of three being sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Johnson County during the 2023 Iowa Legislative Session. My name is Eliza Willis. I'm a member of the League of Women Voters of Johnson County. Our timekeeper today is Vicki Aiden, who's also a League member. The League is dedicated to educating voters on political and ballot issues. We encourage informed citizen participation in government Membership in the League of Women Voters of Johnson County is open to anyone 16 years of age and older. Please join us. We could use your time, your talent, and your financial support for our ongoing operations. Government serves best when it's open and transparent. Democracy works best when more people are involved. To learn more, speak to one of our members or reach out to us through our website or Facebook page. These forums are designed to give local citizens an opportunity to discuss current state legislative issues with their elected officials while the legislative session is underway. All Johnson County legislators were invited to participate. Representative Sherman and Senator Driscoll responded to our invitations stating that they have conflicts today. We received no response from Representative Hora to our invitations to participate. Today's forum focuses on issues related to education. I'd like to introduce our legislators starting with our two senators, Zach Walls, District 43, Janice Weiner, District 45, and then our four representatives, Dave Jacoby, District 86, Amy Nielsen, District 85, Eleanor Levin, District 89, and Adam Zabner, District uh, 90. We will start the forum with three-minute summaries from each of our legislators on recent legislative matters of interest to them individually, starting with Senator Walls from District 43. Well, thank you so much, Eliza and, and Vicki, and a big thanks to the League and for everybody to be with us this morning. Um, I, I'm Senator Zach Walls. I have the honor of uh, representing Coralville, North Liberty, uh, several Iowa City neighborhoods, uh, rural Northeast Johnson County, including Solon in the Iowa Senate. I was just elected to my second term and have been serving as the Iowa Senate Minority Leader for just over two years. Uh, we are really fortunate to have Senator Weiner as a member of our caucus. She's bringing a wealth of experience and knowledge uh, and, and familiarity with local government uh, to a session where we're going to be drawing on that quite a bit, uh, given the Republican agenda. I'm also really glad to have her in the delegation because it's the first time in my entire life that I have uh, been first in terms of alphabetical order. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm really glad to have her uh, on our team. Um, obviously, the, the number one thing that we'll spend some time talking about this morning is the Republican voucher scam uh, that the governor signed into law this morning. Uh, this proposal was rushed. It was reckless. It's very radical. It's wrong for Iowa. Um, I'm excited to hear uh, perspective of folks in the room on that legislation. Uh, Senate Democrats debated this bill until uh, well into the morning on Tuesday. I was really proud of our caucus for sticking up for Iowa's public education system. And I'll also note that opposition to this legislation was bipartisan. Not only did we have all Democrats united in opposition, several Republicans in both chambers voted no. So while I'm grateful for my Democratic colleagues for their courage and dedication, I'm also very grateful uh, for the Republicans who had the courage of their convictions to stand up against the governor's proposal. Uh, finally, I'll also just uh, briefly state that 
this morning, the Iowa Democratic Party is electing a new chair. Uh, several of you know Ross Wilburn from when he was the mayor of Iowa City. He has had a very, very difficult job over the last two years uh, leading our state party. And so if you have the opportunity to just drop him a line of uh, gratitude, I know that he would certainly appreciate it. Uh, he's, he's done a remarkable job given the circumstances that he inherited. Uh, we will, I'm going to be keeping an eye on my phone this morning. I'm not watching the news or anything. I'm just trying to stay in tune during the, the state central committee meeting this morning. Uh, so again, uh, thanks to all of you. Uh, really glad to be here and looking forward to the conversation today. Thanks, everybody. Okay. Janice. Uh, Janice Weiner, district, representing District 45. Hi, thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for being here. And yet, Zach, I'm used to being last. So, <laughs> no surprise there. The, the most amazing thing is that they, they've worked on actually pronouncing my name correctly. So I, Janice Weiner, I, re I now rep have the honor to represent District 45, um, formerly known as the Joe Bolcom District, which is most of Iowa City and University Heights now. It used to include hills, but it no longer does. Um, the, I mean, the real focus of the week, obviously, and the, the couple of weeks leading up to it was the, the voucher bill. Um, and the, the, I am going to be focused going forward not just on the fact that it passed, but what its effects are going to be going forward. To me, the part of the, one of the most egregious parts of it is it essentially um, legalizes discrimination. And we need to look very closely at going forward at what's, what happens particularly to children with disabilities, um, uh, kids who need IEPs, kids especially, and especially kids with severe disabilities. Um, the, it struck me that um, many, just as you're not seeing our Republican colleagues represented here at this table, uh, many of them were really not present in their districts in the in the run-up to that vote, and many of them have. But many of them have now, in retrospect, um, in their newsletters, given their rationale for voting for the bill, um, and that the rationale includes includes some partial truths and untruths. So, the. To me, the, the most, one of the most really important things is how do we create, and not just in this bill, but overall, opportunity for all in this state? How do we, how do we pass, help pass legislation that is for the common good? Because one of the themes we're already seeing in legislation that's introduced is punching down on certain groups, trying to erase certain groups, um, trying to view the world with blinders. And that's not the world we live in. We owe everyone, we owe all our kids um, the opportunity to understand the, the very complex, ever-changing world that they are growing up in. So um, I look forward to answering your questions today and to following this issue as it moves forward. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now we'll turn to the representatives, uh, beginning with Representative Dave Jacoby, District 86. Well, thank you and thank the League for the forum on this snowy Saturday. Uh, well, my last name is Jacoby, so I'm used to being in the middle. <laughs> so that works out real well today. Uh, I, I serve on the Ways and Means Committee. I'm the ranking member on commerce, on natural resources, and on government oversight. Now, the senator was polite, saying there's myths, truth. Actually, they just out and out lied on the bill on numerous topics. But another red flag I want to raise today, too, is the fact that the Department of Revenue, 
and the Republican bill from 2013, the great tax boondoggle, is rearing its ugly head. They figured out property taxes wrong. Imagine that. <laughs> Shocker. So going in, they're asking cities and counties, and this directly affects schools, to decertify the budgets that they're in the midst of certifying right now with also a 2 to 4% cut in the budget. Now, if you think you can retroactively decertify a budget, that means we're going to lose policemen and firefighters. You're going to lose police and firefighters in that group. So the men and the women that serve on both as paid and volunteers, there'll continue to be a shortage. So the tax plan that they've laid out over the last 13 years and they're proposing this year is just a boondoggle. And if anyone here has seen their residential property taxes go down in the last 13 years or your rent go down, will you please raise your hand? <laughs> Thank you. I look forward to your questions today, both on education and other issues that we're dealing with this session. And it is so damn good to be home. <laughs> um, darn good, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, Representative um, Amy Nielsen, District 85. Hi, thank you. Um, uh, Representative Amy Nielsen, I uh, represent now North Liberty and then some of um, North Northern rural Iowa City and Solon. So some new areas for me that have been um, fun to get to know the people um, there. <clears throat> um, I serve as ranking member uh, on the state government committee. Um, I'm on commerce, local government. I'm on ways and means with Representative Jacoby. Um, and I also serve on the administrative rules review committee, which meets every month. And I'm, if if you're a little bit wonky like me, you may have heard in the governor's uh, state of condition of the state address talking about um, a moratorium on our rules, which really is like trying to bake a cake without the the recipe. You know, like the laws are the ingredients, but the rules are the recipe. So, not sure how we're going to do that, but looking forward to some of her um, solutions and not just ideas. Um, I serve as assistant leader in the Iowa House Democrats. Um, this will be my second year doing that. Very, very, very proud of our group for the work that they did Monday um, with the vouchers debate. Um, yes. And I especially want to say Representative Levin and Representative Zabner did a great job. Their very first speech, their very first vote was a really tough one. We don't usually see those until you know, way further in the session. Um, and and I, I just, you, all of you can be really, really proud. I think Representative Masher and Representative Bohannon can be really proud of who is there um, in their place. So look forward to um, your, your questions. Okay. Uh, Representative Eleanor Levin. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry about that. District 89. So <clears throat> during that debate on Monday, the speaker mispronounced my name. So it's been weirdly hard for everyone, <laughs> um, which I didn't actually notice. I got texts later of informing me of that. I was a little bit focused on other things. Um, thank you so much. As you all know, I love these league events. Um, it's coming home for me. So thank you so much for doing this and for bringing us together. And for those of you who did make it out uh, in, you know, not the 
best driving conditions we've ever had, but not the worst either. Um, I am Eleanor Levin. I represent District 89, which is the south and west sides of Iowa City and University Heights residential. Um, my committees include natural resources, environmental protection, agriculture, public safety, uh, veterans affairs, and then um, I'm on the education budget subcommittee, um, which has been a, a real, um, one of the places where I've learned the most already very quickly. Um, I would say some of the things that are top of my mind um, are some of the things that are top of my mind, how do I phrase this, um, are some of the legislation in the education sphere or some of the legislation that's coming out that will impact and affect our ability to entice and enhance teaching and teachers experience in Iowa and our ability to get teachers to want to teach here in Iowa. Um, I know personally I would not have chosen to be a public teacher in any state where I was not able to fully support my students and protect them. Um, and we have, for example, a bill in the House that would require teachers to share, share information, and not just teachers, other school officials as well, to share information that is shared with them in confidence by their students. Um, so for example, if I had a student who told me they were kind of feeling like maybe they were having a gender, that the, their gender identity was different from what they were assigned at birth, I may or may not share that with their parents depending on what I think might be the consequences when they go home. I'm going to be perfectly honest about that. I have been in situations where I have had students who have shared things with me that I knew would have physical repercussions for them if they went home. I would not teach in a state where I had to put that student in danger or go to jail. Um, so those are some of the things that I'm watching carefully and I look forward to your questions and look forward to serving Iowa. Okay. Uh, and finally, uh, Representative Adam Zabner, is that correct? Yes. Good. Yeah. Uh, District 90. Yeah, thank you for saying finally. That side of the table, you don't get to make last name jokes. <laughs> you know, every committee, they call the roll, and I wait until they say Will's young, and then they, they find um, Except uh, natural resources. Yeah, except natural You're resources, third. where I'm the, the ranking member. Um, I represent District 90, which is the north and east side of Iowa City. Appreciate everyone for making it out here today in the snow, as others have said. Um, I also serve on state government. Um, if you see me having some back issues, it's because Representative Nielsen threw a 1,600-page bill at me the other day. Um, I didn't literally throw it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I serve on transportation, environmental protection, and appropriations. Um, you know, I, it was really, really tough to have my first floor speech be on you know, one of the worst bills maybe of my lifetime. Um, and as I said in the speech, I, I think really could be one of the most impactful debates of my career, however long I spend um, in Des Moines. You know, I really talked about the impact that Iowa's public schools have had a, on me, um, the fact that I can be a representative in the Iowa House because of the skills they gave me. Um, and, and I think this legislation really calls our ability to do that into question. Um, I want to thank the 283 Iowans who reached out to me um, to oppose this bill, the teachers who came up to the Capitol and I had the bill, you know, opportunity to recognize. Um, but you know, it was a it was a really really tough debate, and I'm I'm really you know frustrated that my colleagues you know aren't here today to explain their decision. Uh, a lot of them don't even have private schools in their district, um, and and this was just pure politics. 
you know, the governor needed to get this done for whatever reason, you know, people above her asking her to do something, maybe her next cushy job before we get to year four, and we're spending $344 million a year. Um, and, and it's just really, really bad legislation. So, you know, my ask to everyone here would be uh, when they come out with their increase in supplemental school aid, and like they have for however many years that I can remember, they tell Iowans, you know, we know that you need all these services in your public school. We know that you're scaling back. We know you'd like to have a school nurse, mental health care, but there's just not enough in the budget. Um, call them out because that's BS. Okay, well, thank, that <laughs> thank you to all of you for your updates on legislative issues. Uh, at this time, we will begin with questions with one from the League, followed by questions from members of the audience. We remind all participants that questions are limited to one minute. Please observe this time limit so that so the legislators can address as many questions as possible. Legislators, please limit your responses to two minutes. All legislators are welcome to join in responding to each question. So the first question from the League is, what additional education bills do you anticipate advancing during this session and what is your position on them? Whoever. Well, I'm, I'm certainly happy to start with that and we can go down the line. Um, <clears throat> one of the bills that we'll be debating uh, likely this week is uh, funding for public schools. As many of you may know, the governor called for a 2.5% increase in our public education funding. Obviously, that is uh, woefully inadequate given the increases of, of costs that we've seen across not just our state but our country. Um, and one of the consequences that we've seen of the governor's vouchers bill already being signed into law is that legislative Republicans have already come in below that uh, 2.5% number. And rather than getting bogged down in the math, I just want to be really clear that what's happening is that rather than putting our public education system first, which is the system that all Iowans depend on, Republicans have put their private school proposal first. And our public schools are already beginning to see decreases to the amounts of funding that they will receive as a result to that. So we will have an education committee in the Senate at 1.30 p.m. on Monday. Uh, that will be open to the public. And so if you are interested in joining for that meeting, you will be able to zoom in. That will be a public meeting that all members of the public have the opportunity to observe, and many will have the opportunity to speak. Uh, so that'll be again 1.30 on Monday at the Education Committee meeting, and then we will be debating that later this week. But again, uh, I think the number one takeaway from that is simply that uh, following the passage of the governor's vouchers bill, we're already seeing deleterious effects to our public education system. So if we, if we go down the row, the um, Senator Walls referenced the state supplemental aid bill that's coming up. The governor, in her condition of the state speech, proposed 2.5% increase in the Senate. The bill that's, that's before us right now, or will be for, before us, proposes only a 2% increase. Um, even under the governor's numbers, there would be uh, this year an additional 80, uh, 83 million for public schools, but 106 million for private schools. Uh, you will see us introduce some amendments uh, that likely won't pass, but that, th that's just in terms of perspective. Um, and that's not enough, especially when you look at the rate of inflation over the past year. Um, the other things, uh, we've also heard uh, that the governor will be, will be introducing something that we haven't seen yet, some kind of transparency bill, which of course would only apply to public schools. 
Representative Levin mentioned um, either HF House File 8 or House File 9. Um, they're both aimed at, um, at really putting the blinders on and or preventing teachers from, teachers from being, being able to have and counselors from being able to have relations of confidence with their kids <clears throat> from really being able to help these kids and educate these kids properly. Um, and then there's, a, there's another law, that, uh, another draft in the Senate that I've heard a reasonable amount from, from school librarians about already, uh, which would, uh, which would um, decrease the edu educational requirements for school librarians, which I see as part of the sort of overall, we can't get teachers, we can't get librarians, so we're going to continue to try and reduce um, the requirements so that we can get somebody in those places. And, and obviously, I'm not in favor of those. Well, I think it's kind of funny the governor's talking about transparency, but uh, <laughs> maybe that's just me. But you know, it's not, it's not only about the money or the finances that are so important to public schools and our community colleges and the regions, but it's also the fact uh, of stifling innovation. Our teachers and administrators have been working hard over the last decade with limited resources to provide that innovation in the classroom whether it's STEAM academies, different learning styles for different kids. And what we're seeing now is what worries me even more than the two or two and a half percent are the bills that are coming up that are banning books, requiring teachers to turn their curriculum in every semester or two weeks ahead of time, or what we're doing in terms of uh, children and gender. And, and I have to say, you know, my youngest daughter that I just moved uh, over Christmas works for a PR company now and they were looking at setting up a nexus in Iowa and they saw these bills that were filed not passed but filed they said immediately even against uh, Anna or Young's daughter's ideas about a nexus in Iowa they said no we will not locate or have a nexus in a state that discriminates against people Yes, I, I, they've all said it beautifully, and I don't know of any additional bills um, that haven't been spoken of, so I'm just going to keep things moving so we have time. Um, so one thing that was interesting to me was that the bill to end tenure died in subcommittee in the House. Um, so I was paying attention to that, and I was interested to, to see that happen. Um, they're excited to see that happen. Um, House File 8 and House File 9, uh, which are the two anti-queer anti bill kids school bills that have uh, been filed were, were have been in existence say, since day two of the session were assigned subcommittees very quickly and those subcommittees still haven't met so I'm just I'm curious to see what happens with those I'm keeping an eye on those um, I don't know whether to expect them to advance I don't know whether they were just kind of on hold as vouchers played out or whether there's some waters testing going on or what um, I also know I've been assigned to bills that the subcommittees have not met yet. People have been busy. Um, so it may just be that scheduling those sometimes is tricky. So that's those are the two that I'm really keeping an eye on. Yeah, I think Senator Wells is completely right to focus on the money. Um, the fact that, you know, the proposed increases in funding for schools are just not sufficient to deal with the increases in cost. Um, you know, like I said earlier, they cannot say that the money's not there because they've just given it away to some of their, their richest donors. Um, I also wanted to say to Representative Jacoby's point uh, about some of these 
you know, really hateful bills we're seeing. We just got an email yesterday from a neuroscientist at the university who mentioned that they had a, a conference planned. I think around 100 people were going to come to study the free, prefrontal cortex. Uh, and that con conference had been canceled because of California's uh, law banning public funds from being used uh, to travel to conferences in states with discriminatory laws. Um, and so this stuff has a huge impact. You know, even just the proposal of these bills, it makes our state look bad. It makes these workforce problems even worse. It makes it hard for our state to really shine. Um, and I think more broadly, an important part of our public schools conversation is that it doesn't just affect the kids in the schools. It affects our whole communities. You know, my, my dad is a professor at the university, and I've sat for years in recruitment dinners where he's talked about, you know, the impact that Iowa's public schools had on our family and used that as a way to get some of the best and brightest in the country to want to come to Iowa. And so I'm incredibly concerned about legislation uh, that puts, you know, that quality of life argument that our community has used for years in harm. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, we will now accept questions from the audience. Please make a line at the microphone uh, to ask your question. Please limit your question to one minute. All legislators will have the opportunity to respond to each question. Legislators each have two minutes to respond. Out of respect for all present, please do not interrupt speakers. Good morning. Thank you. My name is Pat Bowen. I live on the east side. Thank you, Adam, for being my representative. Um, my question is quick. As you all are identifying the committees that you're on, do you get to pick that or is that assigned to you? As the person who makes the assignments, I can tell you that they are assigned. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I mean, uh, I was just wondering. Yeah, it's a great question. So the way that typically this works is that each leader is elected by a majority of the caucus in the House and then in the Senate. And then that leader of the caucus gets to make uh, appointments to various committees. Uh, I will tell you that we do our very best to accommodate the requests that we get from our members. Um, as we're trying to make these assignments, we're trying to weigh a wide variety of factors. Uh, but we always do our best to make sure that folks' strengths and, and knowledge are best aligned with the communities on which they serve. Thank you. Hi, thank you. I'm Eileen Barron from Kelowna, and my um, representative is not here. <laughs> but I had a question about the ES, um, the bill that was just passed, um, Students First. Um, talking point is being that um, this is a great deal because um, the public schools are getting actually bottom line $9,000 for students they're not teaching because of the money that remains in the public school and the $1,200 from the state. And I just wanted to hear a um, breakdown of that. And it, it doesn't seem like it's a good deal, but I'd like to hear the um, bottom line. Thank you. Dave's kind of our money yeah. guy. I'd, I'd throw that to him. Yeah. Well, I don't believe anything they say about uh, as far as per pupil. The, the argument is, is that the schools are somewhat held harmless, at least in the first year, the 1,200, the 7,568, whatever it is, are supplemental aid for each student. The, the bottom line is a lot of these things haven't been worked out too. Uh, like when is your count days? When is your... Uh, uh, when does a transfer take place? How do we handle, handle people who transfer back? I mean, there's so many questions. And Amy, Representative Nilsen uh, hit the key point. The Rules Review Committee has been suspended. 
and that is a committee that actually decides the true intent of all legislation that has passed and then gives the defined language with the departments. So by suspending that committee, basically what the governor is gonna do through openness and transparency is determine the language that will be given to the Department of Ed on how we're gonna implement vouchers. I'm sorry, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but a lot of it is, uh, uh, good gosh, it hasn't been real open. Those are, there are a lot of questions left to answer. And thank you for being here today. Apparently the road you took to get here is different than the representatives. <laughs> so. I, I'd like to add just two figures to that. One representative, Jacoby mentioned the count date. So the count date is currently October 1st. That's when a school, a school district counts how many students it has. If a student enroll, takes their money through an ESA, enrolls in a private school, but um, sometime, but then the private school decides generally sometime after October 1st for whatever reasons, maybe the, the student needs an IEP, maybe the student has some behavioral issues, that the, that student needs to go back to public school. If that pu student goes back to public school after the count date, this public school gets no money for that year. Um, and the other piece that I just wanted to notion, mention is that in the bill itself, it gave the Education Department emergency rulemaking authority for this bill with basically no say from the public, if I read that correctly. So, Eileen, just, I mean, two things. First of all, 1,200 is less than 7,700, <laughs> period. So I know that math can be hard sometimes. That is not a hard <laughs> math problem. So just n number one. Number two, we are already seeing the negative effects of pouring hundreds of millions of dollars into this vouchers program because that means there is less state revenue to fund public schools, period, right? You can't get blood out of a stone. And that's what Republicans are trying to suggest is possible with that talking point. Representative Zabner wanted. Yeah, I'll just add, you know, if you're a private school, you know, Dowling, West Des Moines, one of the one of the better ones in the state uh you are working on your budget for next year we've already passed this bill we've given you your certainty you can start going uh if you're a public school uh good luck because we're still debating uh sss hi uh brady shot president of icea and teacher in the iowa city school district i think this is my 27th or 28th year in the district. So um, uh, thank you all for being here, and thanks to the League for putting on uh, this uh, legislative forum. Uh, and on behalf of the other teachers that I'm uh, sitting with, just really a, a sincere, heartfelt thank you for, uh, to all of you for standing strong for public education. You know, we all know the numbers are rough right now in terms of what, what it is that you're up against, but I can, as deflating as it was this week, and it was deflating, and as deflating as it looks going uh, forward, we were heartened by the fact that all of you stood up for us and. Uh, we, we want you to know that we have your back. I guess I would be, um, I, I'd be interested, SSA over the last 12 years has been 1.9%. That's when Republicans took control of one of the parts of the legislature. So it's not a surprise that they're going to go under the governor potentially. I mean, that's just been the funding over the last 12 years. Um, and I, House File 8 and 9 are dangerous for kids. That's why we have to really watch those. 
I'd be curious, and it isn't something we've talked about yet, but maybe Representative Jacoby, there's uh, some other talk about property tax reform and some that would have an impact on schools' ability in terms of facilities and innovative ideas. And so I wonder if you could touch on, uh, touch on those. Specifically, the one that we're, they're talking about now would require a 10% down payment on you know, going forward with a bond. For, which for school? bonding projects. For, yeah, exactly. And, well, and there, thank you, Randy. There's, there's a small handful of property tax bills in the mix right now. One of those is the requirement that the entity has to have at least 10% in cash ready ahead of time for any bonding issues. Uh, another one is capping uh, the valuations at 103% or a 3% increase every year. In essence, saying no matter how much your home is increasing in value, it cannot increase more than 3% per year. All, all the ones that are kind of a, pu a puzzle trying to be put together is held up by the one I mentioned earlier, the one of the boondoggle with the rollback figures that they completely drop the ball and are 2 to 4% off for the current year we're in. So before we can move forward with any property tax changes, they have to change the boondoggle. Again, that boondoggle affects cities, counties, and schools, because we don't know for sure how that's going to play with school districts that have lost or other kinds of property tax infrastructure. So it's a little more complicated than I think they thought. So it'll be interesting on how they all play together. Can I? Nancy Porter. Nancy, can I just one, oh, one sure. quick point, Brady? Um, you know, you mentioned House Files 8 and 9, and we're seeing some similar legislation come over in the Senate. The, the one thing that I'll say on this, to your point about how kids are, are, are going to be hurt if this legislation becomes law, you know, look, um, parents deserve to know how their kids are feeling. Kids deserve to be safe. And that is the fundamental tension on this issue. And so I think that as, as a state, that is a, a big question that we have to grapple with. Uh, and of course, you know, parents across the state have uh, the right to raise their children you know, as they see fit, uh, as long as their kids are not being hurt. Um, outside of the gender identity or sexual orientation question, there are a lot of other things that the state uh, has a view on in terms of what is or is not appropriate child rearing. And so I just think that we have to be very serious and very careful as we have this conversation. And it's one that should not be rushed. Republicans should not try to rush this conversation. On the vouchers thing, we saw them use a, a wide variety of of procedural maneuvers and parliamentary tricks to force a, a rush debate. And, and as this conversation unfolds, it has to be done in a deliberate and careful way because kids' lives are absolutely on the line. Anybody else? No. <laughs> I'm Nancy Porter, and um, I'm just incredibly thankful that I live in this county and that you are representing me in the legislature, and I can't over praise you and thank you for your articulate words, your knowledge, and your obvious concern about things I'm very concerned about. Speaking uh, for the League of Women Voters, we were talking the other night about programs that help our children not only in public schools but outside, like SNAP. And I was wondering if you had any comments on some of those, those programs that uh, will be affected, as Senator Wall said, 
less money. What are we going to do with it? And hearing rumors that they're going to take away some of the necessary foods from SNAP. And when I say necessary, you can't be a family preparing um, meals for your children, your whomever you've invited for dinner without appropriate foods to work with. So I, I sat in on the subcommittee. Uh, I, I'm not on the subcommittee, but I, I was there for this uh, SNAP bill on Thursday. Um, you know, it's some of the stuff they've tried to do in previous years and then goes even further. It's, it's really concerning. I think we all know that a huge part of educating any child is making sure they're appropriately fed, and that's probably the thing we can do to most impact uh, the lives of children. Um, you know, they had had a, a piece of this bill that aligned SNAP with WIC, uh, which was really, really restrictive on which foods families could buy. Um, somehow, my 33, I think, colleagues who co-sponsored this bill seemed shocked that that was in the bill, uh, which they signed their name to. Uh, so they're saying they're going to amend that. Uh, but I think it's really f important to focus on what will still be in this bill and why it's still a really big problem. Uh, they still want to micromanage what Iowa families can do with their food. Uh, I don't want to hear them talk about fiscal responsibility or oversight, uh, but they are also arguing, you know, families who have two working parents, for example, who both drive, uh, would not be able to access SNAP because of this asset testing. Now, we have a workforce crisis in our state. They want people to work. In a lot of Iowa, that's pretty much impossible without two cars, especially if there's children in the picture. Um, and so, you know, almost everybody in this subcommittee was against, except for a couple of Koch brothers lobbyists that, that showed up. Uh, and, you know, it's actually a bill that would cost the state more money because the SNAP money is federal. The administration costs we pay for in Iowa. Uh, and last year's fiscal note on, in terms of some of these limits said that we'd have to hire over 40 full-time equivalent positions in order to actually administer these changes. So it's just, it's really wrong for Iowa. I, I would think, go ahead. Oh, um, I think Representative Zabner hit something that um, I'm certainly noticing happening this year. Um, and it's all about third parties. And I don't mean libertarian or independent, I mean third party uh, providers. There's going to need to be a third party provider to come in and, um, and, do, and do vouchers. We're going to need a third party to come in and facilitate all the SNAP changes. changes, restrictions, and things like that. So I think that it's important. I mean, obviously, all of these things are, are horrible on their face, but all, all of these that are also requiring you know, someone else to get state money that's going to make them richer than they already are, I think we need to really be careful and watch out for, for all of those. And, and you know, it's, kind of, it's a little bit taboo. You hate to kind of, you know, connect the dots, but if, the, if our governor and the Republicans are getting a lot of money from these people for their re-election campaigns, I think we really need to be paying attention to that. Good heavens, if we want to feed our children, you have to go through a mountain of paperwork, but if you want a voucher, here's, here's eight grand, have a good day. And I, I worked, uh, I was a supervisor for seven counties for the welfare reform for 11 years. I met a lot of families. 
a lot of women with children, a lot of men with children, a lot of struggling families. I've heard from three people already on this bill. One of them was a young woman who got out of the military, and her and her husband also military divorced, and the Army was real slow in getting her child care payments to her. So she came through our office to receive benefits to help bridge, and that's what it is. It's a bridge. Now she happens to be a teacher and sends me notes every once in a while saying thank you, and it wasn't me. It was the system that helped her get child care and feed the children while she finished her degree. Another person is a local person, lives a couple blocks from us, Miriam. She, she's in pharmacy now, and she said thank you for the, the benefits that I received from my training at Kirkwood as a farm tech, and the family is very successful. The third one happens to be a truck driver. He's over the road, and I don't know how he heard about this. He's out in California, I think he said in his message, but he is a truck driver, so I won't quote him on what he said exactly about the staff bill. Really, Dave? I, I won't. It does rhyme with, with truck. truck. But, uh, <laughs> but he was very upset, saying this is what we needed to get through a hard time with my family. And he took the training at Kirkwood, the five-week truck driving course, and th this is a bridge for people. And we can send them to all the schools you want. If they don't have food in their bellies, they're not going to learn. Um, I wanted to say a couple things. The first is that uh, I just a suggestion, particularly if you live in a district that isn't any one of us, or particularly if you want to chat with any one of those co-sponsors of House File 3, just ask them what they had for lunch that day and whether it would qualify for the mm. requirements that they signed on to. And who paid for it. And who paid for it. <laughs> um, and then the uh, other thing I wanted to say was this is really reminding me of a conversation from last year, though when I was not sitting up here, um, but was paying close attention and asking myself and asking my legislators, if someone's full-time employment or their their whatever it is that they you know that fills up their day does not give them the funds to meet their basic needs, why are we making getting whatever they need to meet those basic needs, essentially another full-time job. <laughs> this reminds me of the reduction to unemployment benefits last year, where we not only shrunk the number of weeks available, but made the bureaucracy so much deeper that I have personal friends who just gave up on it, even though they qualified, because it, would it was taking so much time to apply for the benefits that they weren't spending as much time as they wanted to looking for work. That's wrong. <laughs> That's wrong for Iowa, that's wrong for our workforce, that's wrong for our young people, and it's wrong for making people feel like they're welcome here. Now we're trying to do the same thing with SNAP. We're trying to tell people that you should be spending more time trying to justify your SNAP benefit eligibility than taking care of the family you're trying to feed. So I would, I would um, agree with Representative Nielsen, follow the money. It's the Medicaidization of many uh, of more programs. And by the way, this bill, if it goes through, it doesn't just affect SNAP, it also affects uh, Medicaid recipients and what they, the hoops they would have to jump through. Um, you might also, in addition to what Representative Levin said, ask any legislature what, legislator what their per diem is and what they're getting into their pockets every week from that. Um, and 
I challenge anyone with a one-year-old child to figure out if they don't have the money for, a f for quality childcare, how they're gonna manage to work 20 hours a week. It's the only thing that I have to add, uh, which kind of underscored the point made earlier that you know, this is a perfect example of how clearly this is not a piece of legislation that was read by the co-sponsors. Frankly, it probably wasn't read by the person who actually introduced it. It was just copy and pasted from another state where no one bothered to ask the question, what should I change in this bill to make sure that it's right for Iowa? And that is exactly the role of the minority party, is to be the ones who do the work, who read the bills, and who say, this is wrong. And when there are exceptionally egregious cases, like what we identified earlier, to make sure that amendments are filed. But it just demonstrates the intoxication of the power that the majority has, where they aren't actually even bothering to do what's right for Iowa. They're just putting politics first and people second. That's wrong, and it has to change. Oh. <laughs> Hello, my name is Ken Bowen. I live on the east side of Iowa City, and I have three things I want to talk about real quick. First of all, I want to congratulate the people of your respective districts for having enough sense to vote for you. <laughs> Second of all, this is directed to Representative Zabner. Uh, as the ranking member of your committee, how many Democrats are actually on that committee considering you are a first-year representative? That's, that's interesting and it's kind of a rhetorical question. And third of all, um, I'm curious, has anyone on this panel heard anything from the governor or any of the Republican legislative leaders on what the governor plans to do with her 1.9 billion dollar surplus. Thank you. I think she just wants to keep bragging about it. <laughs> I mean, it's federal. It, it's mostly federal funds like that we've gotten that are supposed that was supposed to be spent on helping Iowans. So I don't know. I think, yeah, I think she just wants to keep talking about it. Yeah, and, and then also give it to her yeah. donors. I mean, mostly. I mean, like, the, the, the income, the personal income tax cut that Republicans rammed through last year is going to overwhelmingly benefit the ultra-rich and big corporations in our state, and it will be paid for with our taxpayer dollars, including those that we sent up to the federal government. The average Iowan is going to get an average tax cut of about $500. The ultra-rich are going to get an average tax cut of over uh, $67,000. That's the difference between a fully loaded Chevy Silverado, if you can find one, and one payment on that truck. Uh. Every year, forever. <laughs> so that's what they're doing with the surplus. Not to put too fine a point on it. Yeah, I second all those points about the surplus. As I said before, when people don't tell you, when people in the legislature say there's not enough money to fully fund or properly fund education, uh, we should point to everything we've talked about over the last 45 minutes. Uh, in terms of natural resources, I am not the longest serving member there. Uh, <laughs> Representative Jacoby is there with me, and believe it or not, he's a little older than me. I know he doesn't look it. Uh, <laughs> uh, it just means that I am sort of the Democrat who you know, sits at the head of the table next to the chair, um, helps assign the bills, helps come up with the agenda and stuff like that. Uh, and we divvy up that responsibility for the different committees. You know, if Representative Jacoby had to be the ranking member on all the uh, committees he's on as the longest serving member, uh, I think, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't have a lot of free time, so. 
Yeah, I might lose my hair. <laughs> waiting for that, Jim. Yep. Yeah, the, the responsibilities are, are divvied up pretty um, equally among. So, like, I am also a ranking member on the International Relations Committee, which I didn't mention before because it's sort of a weird uh, legislative joint committee between the Senate and the House, and it's a largely ceremonial committee. Um, we get to do, actually, that's sort of my, it's, it's really interesting because we've learned a lot about um, export business in Iowa, but primarily what we get to do is uh, deal with delegations from other countries that come to Iowa. Um, so it, it, the, but as far as it being, almost all of the new members are ranking on some committee because we try to make, the, the, the leadership tries to make sure that those responsibilities are equally spread out so no one is losing all their hair over it. <laughs> and Ken, thank you. I, I really appreciate you wearing an Iowa, University of Iowa women's basketball sweatshirt. Wow, aren't they doing something this year? They're doing something else. Uh, and I just want a little shout out to Adam. Uh, he is new in three weeks as a ranking member, but he's already uh, arranged and worked with the chair to get a subcommittee on a Democrat-sponsored bill. So that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty good movement for someone that's just getting a start. Thank you. I hear the word wrong. I'm Marcia Hammond. I just moved here after 41 years of living in the state of Minnesota and the city of Minneapolis. And I built a house thinking that this would be my forever lasting place. In one year's time, since last January 3rd when I moved in, we have lost our reproductive rights, which I fought for in the streets of Iowa City 50 years ago as a co-ed. Now we're talking about our educational opportunities that are tr not transparent. You will, as a state, predictably lose business. You will lose retirees. You will lose these doctors who cannot practice family practice. You will lose residents in this state that want to practice psychiatry, want to practice family, again, family practice, OBGYN. And we can say it's wrong, but there is far more to this. And this is by design that this Republican Party has done what they've done at a greater level. And they're hooked in, bought in, worn out, you know, bought, they're bought and sold by a greater entity than the citizens of Iowa. And I don't know if you have looked at, since it's just hit us in the face, but are, is there an opportunity for us to bring a lawsuit as public educators to the state of Iowa, whether it's the ACLU, whether it's a private entity within the state of Iowa? I do believe that we have to st stand taller, talk louder, yeah, and have all of us have a seat at the table. Thank you. Sure. We have some really good, um, we have a really good coalition of partners that we work with, whether it's ISEA or, um, you know, um, the, the unions, all of the different ones, Teamsters, everybody. Like, and we, so we talk to them quite frequently when things are happening. And, and yes, so they, they have the opportunities to file these lawsuits. And, I mean, ACLU has done several. I think Planned Parenthood has done a few over the last few years that I've been there. So I would assume that somebody will. 
Um, just don't know who yet till it's till it's filed. So it, it does it does happen sure. and it is so talked about. Question, you know, because this state doesn't have a strong um, strong strong newspaper. The Minneapolis Star Tribune, of course, has a big distribution mm -hmm. and they're losing their numbers as well. How do you get this information out? You know, Facebook is not should not be your 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 go to market. Mm -hmm. It just should not be. It was for my eighth grader in uh, 2007 or whatever it was. It just shouldn't be there. So well, we actually, we have to go through a, a, you're right, there isn't one single source. We go through our newsletters, we go through social media accounts, we go through events like this. We, I mean, every legislator kind of knows what the best ways to get out information are in their district, hopefully. I mean, it's it's ever-changing. But you're right, there isn't one distributive source that we can all rely on, unfortunately. Um, and I, w I would also say, just um, as far as legal challenges, the League of Women Voters actually has an incredible history. Um, I don't know if you know about the redistricting process in this state, but one of the reasons we have the gold standard nonpartisan redistricting process that we have is because of a case brought by the League of Women Voters before I was born. Um, and that's one of the reasons, one of the things that really got me hooked into this group was, mm -hmm. was that service to the state. You're going to see a lot more um, proactive talking to the media, I think, um, this year. I know our, our um, House leader, Jennifer Converse, and Senator Walls are, are really making an effort to be available to, to press a lot more than um, had, had happened in the past, holding press conferences, doing Facebook Live things, um, talk, you know, just talking to reporters as much as possible. So we're doing everything we can. And if it's not getting picked up, then, you know, I guess, I guess so, help us Sorry, know I think we need to your, move to the next questioner. Okay. I worked yeah. at two major universities, Kentucky and University of Minnesota. I didn't see anybody down at the University of Iowa recruiting for voting this past fall. So I'm concerned about that. Do dozens, if not hundreds of hours. Oh, good. Yeah. 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 Glad yeah. you did that. Yeah. Yeah. They were there. One person. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Representative Sam. I really appreciate that question. And, and, you know, I think you laid out the stakes exactly um, as they are. You know, I, I didn't have a general election opponent here in Iowa City, and I spent a lot of time on campus, spent a lot of time trying to get our district out, but also had the opportunity to get out to some of our swing seats uh, in the House and, and spend time knocking doors for our candidates out there. And I heard Republicans talking about costs for Iowa families and inflation. I heard them talking about crime. Um, you know, it's been a busy three weeks. What have they done about those problems? Hmm. Um, and I think you're right. There's not, you know, the structures we need to hold them accountable. And so, you know, even now, when we're two years out from an election, now is the perfect time to talk to your neighbors, talk to your colleagues, you know, get out and do these sorts of forums and then make sure it's getting out to the community. And, and that's every single one of our responsibilities to make sure that folks understand what's happening and what the stakes are. Because um, we're going to have another election in two years. And, you know, if you're a Republican and you live in a district where your uh, representative voted for vouchers, primary them. You know, get out, find a candidate, primary them. If you're a Democrat, it's time to start organizing, time to start having those conversations with the students. We're going to be having a city council and school board race in November. We need to make sure every single student that can be is registered to vote, get out for that election, get out in 2024. And so really appreciate the question. I think it's incumbent on all of us to do that work. I mean, the, the only thing I would add to that is, look, 
we need to completely rebuild the Iowa Democratic yeah. Party. Yeah. Period. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, and like literally as we're sitting here having this conversation, the Iowa Democratic Party State Central Committee is meeting. It's been 90 minutes and they haven't approved the agenda yet. Oh. <laughs> now, if I was in Brady Schutt's class when I was taking AP government, I would have gotten a failing grade on that, uh, that work. So I, I am in strong support of a proposal that is on the agenda for today to create a new executive committee within the steering committee that will help keep us focused on what should be the number one goal of the Iowa Democratic Party, winning elections. So I know that we're not here to talk about the Iowa Democratic Party. We're here to talk about legislative issues. But I will tell you, our performance on legislative issues won't get better until we have a legislature that reflects the actual views that are out there. And we all, look, we all know where the public is on these. The problem is that yeah. we have a state Democratic Party that has been completely incapable of channeling public will into political results. That change, that rebuilding, has to start today. So off my soapbox now, sorry. <laughs> and a reminder that this is a nonpartisan event. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Sally Stutzman, and I have lots of comments. So I'm taking a deep breath. But just one <laughs> comment. I went to the egg breakfast with Senator, or with Rep, or, um, Department of NAG, Secretary of Agriculture, last Friday morning, and I asked him about this SNAP program. First things, words out of his mouth were, it's a mistake, it's a mistake. I mean, really, in the state of Iowa, you can buy canned tuna fish, but not fresh meat? I mean, and there were two <laughs> legislators there, uh, Representative Hora and Repres or Senator Driscoll, who both co-sponsored the bill. The word deer in the headlights comes to mind. They had obviously not read the bill. They didn't know anything about it, but they co-sponsored it. Okay, uh, moving on to the voucher uh, system. I want to know, next year, will they propose um, monies for homeschoolers? Is that going to be the next proposal? And I want to know when we will find out the full cost of this bill. I was appalled, appalled as a taxpayer, that that did not go through the normal legislative process of getting a full read on the ta on the fiscal impact of this bill. Yes. Oh, and one other comment. None of you guys were at that Ag Committee breakfast. <laughs> yeah, that's where we need to start with uh, building the Democratic Party. You got to go to the yeah, rural so areas. Was this, where was this? It was at the uh, extension office, and it's uh, and they're going to have a legis. The next one is a legislative. I, I will be at the next one. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. You I, need I, to hear what rural people have to say. It's, I, on, my, I it's, on, my, it's on my schedule. It, okay. This this one was, I wasn't aware of it. If I had been aware of it, I would have done everything I could to be there. And to answer your question about homeschools, we have no idea, but I I would sure expect that they probably would. In the first four years, this is currently structured. You're talking about 918 million dollars over four years, so almost a billion. And that is just the start, right? So there's certainly, uh, it's certainly possible that you will see an acceleration of that figure uh, over time. I have two quick questions. Um, one thing the League of Women Voters is always in favor of, obviously, is um, equal opportunity for men and women. And we've had a law in the state that <laughs> committees and boards should be gender balanced as possible and has that led to any difficulties are there any committees that can't find members and why would we change that law and my second question is about senate file 81 which appears to state that teachers can't even recommend books anymore and book banning is just something I don't understand, because if you don't want to read a book, why don't you just not read it? Why do you have to ban it for everyone else? So, so I would start on that one, because I'm on the, the committee that just considered this um, um, 
ridiculous bill that would do away with the actually useful and progressive law that started in the 90s and then was extended to local government around around two, uh, 2012 for uh, gender parity in commissions and committees. Um, it seems, I guess, that there are some there are some people who are frustrated because they can't get on a committee, a statewide committee that perhaps the governor can't appoint the people that she she wants to to certain committees and she's not willing to wait the 90 days until that requirement falls away. Um, we, we, I worked with it for three years in city council. It was no problem at all. It gives people a seat at the table. It gives people a seat at the table to be role models. It gives people a seat at the table who might not otherwise have even considered a seat at the table. Um, and to the argument that that was that was thrown out in committee before it passed on a party line vote um, of well it's not just my someone one legislator said it's not my my wife was insulted because she was being asked just because she was a woman no we don't ask people just because they're a woman any more than we ask them just be, because they're a man we ask them because they happen to be a qualified person in that field and also um, and also a woman or a man, as the case may be. So this would be, in my view, a huge step backwards to, to for basically special interest groups or people to put the, the old boys network back at work just to put on the folks that they want. Um, we will be marshalling a variety of arguments against it. I don't know if it will get any traction, but um, I do not. Uh, I do not support that. And my other answer, my other response to SF81 is: Have they ever heard of the internet? Yeah, <laughs> that'll be next. Um, you know, I, I had a big section at the top of my newsletter this week about Minette Doderer, um, and and the reason for that. You know, she's my my predecessor here, representing Iowa City, and obviously, you know, uh, really really proud to be in a in a seat that someone you know so impactful held. And you know, I was listening. The, the thing that sort of prompted me to do that this week is that uh, under the Golden Dome, which is sort of weekly podcast about what's happening in the Capitol, devoted their their full time to uh, her and some of their recordings from the archives this week. Um, and you know, listening to it, I was wondering, you know, is this really history? <laughs> uh, because it sounds a whole lot like what they're trying to do right now, and and the barriers that she faced. You know, that you know she was a trailblazer, but. But we we got to keep progressing, and so I'm I'm so thankful to the three women up here, and I I just want to continue uh, to to make sure that representatives from Iowa City are are leading on these sorts of issues. The, the, I wanted to mention one thing. Um, I kind of had tangentially known about our gender parity rules, whatever, but I, I I wasn't really familiar with it. So when this came up in the Senate, I went and did did the reading. I looked at the code. Um, and one of the things that I found really interesting is that this has been in place since the 90s, and yet somehow the code already was forward-thinking enough that was created where it does not call for gender balance of men and women. It calls for gender balance. It calls for no one gender to make up no more than half of the commission. So that means we don't even have an issue here. You know, I, My immediate thought was, are we preventing trans people or non-binary people from taking seats on commissions? And it doesn't. The code is well written, in my opinion. It's actually really forward thinking, and um, getting rid of it is, uh, yeah, move it, taking us backward. Yeah. Next. 
Hi, my name is oh, my name is Tina Cap, and I live in the um, in Iowa City. And Adam is my representative. And thank you, Adam. I plan on having coffee with you soon. Um, so my basic question is just since we're talking about education, and just a very uh, sort of thing that is in my heart is free lunches for every public school child in the state of Iowa. And now seeing what has happened in the last uh, week with the school vouchers. You know, I think that my dream of having that happen is not going, you know, now, who, who knows? But anyway, I just think it would save money. It's just a basic, basic thing we know about nutrition and children, and that's what we've been talking about. But I, I, I just want to throw that out there to add to the little snap conversation that we had earlier. So I'm actually introducing a bill on that for, for free lunch and breakfast. I doubt it will get anywhere, even in subcommittee, but it struck me as really important, given all the rest of the things that are happening, to make that point. Kids can't learn when they're hungry. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Thank you. I think we could get some traction on that. Probably it's going to be easier to get some traction on that locally with our school boards who are elected by us. That um, you know, we can go and talk to them, whether we're a parent in the school or not, because we're a taxpayer, and they are accountable to us for what happens in those schools. Notice my, uh -huh. yeah, not like a private school. So I'm, I would, I would say, it would, I, yeah, I would go to the school boards and and local, even city councils have um, money that they can um, put towards things like that. So, but not, you know. but not have. But it's, it, I'd kind of like to see it just like statewide. Of course. statewide right? I would I'd like as to well. See it nationwide. I would you know? as well. I'm I'd saying it's worldwide. It's probably, <laughs> yes. Right thing. now in this climate, it's probably easier to go through. I, I completely agree with you. It would be great, but look at what we're talking about. It would right also now. save a lot of money in paperwork. Yes. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it costs less than $344 million a year. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Adam. Yep. So, timeline wise, um, it's, if you want something like that to happen quickly, you probably people would probably be better talking to their local governments. Okay. I agree that long term, that's the direction we need to head mm -hmm. for the state. Yeah. Is that fair? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So I have a, a question that that's a lead question that follows on this uh, issue, and uh, it's a little bit of a long uh, comment and then a question. Uh, just over 42% of Iowa's public school students are eligible for free or reduced price school meals for the 2022-23 school year. Direct certification is a process used by local educational agencies to certify el eligible children for free meals without the need for households to submit applications. This process has been in place since the 2008-2009 school year. In Iowa's GOP's bill HF3, in addition to drastically altering the eligible foods, this bill includes additional levels of accountability for families, adding more levels of oversight and reporting, such as an identity authorization and asset testing. Proponents argue additional oversight is needed to limit fraud. What evidence-based facts and data have been provided to provide the claims of extensive fraud? If families are not able to navigate the new application process, how many of Iowa's children may no longer be automatically eligible for free school meals? In what appears to be, uh, I think the, the follow on here is about SNAP that we've already talked about. So that's a little bit more of an extended um, 
discussion of some of the or question regarding some of the things we've already discussed, but if you have anything to add to that about the bill. Did you say evidence-based facts? <laughs> yes, evidence-based evidence, evidence -based facts. <laughs> about as much mm. as for voter fraud. <laughs> I sure haven't seen anything. Yeah. I don't think any of us have seen anything. They're not big on providing evidence-based reasons for their legislation. Yeah, I mean, it, it was kind of embarrassing watching, you know, Iowans for Prosperity, which is the Koch Brothers-funded group, uh, present at this SNAP, uh, at this SNAP subcommittee, uh, where, you know, Iowans were talking about how it would directly impact their lives, you know, their needs and, and, and sort of their situations that they're facing, um, and, you know, essentially gave a boilerplate language that I'm sure is the same thing uh, they say when they're in Idaho or in Ohio, because uh, I'm not even sure they know they're in Iowa, so. <laughs> um, other comments? Oh, Hi, um, I'm Susan Ansel. I'm with the League of Women Voters, and I also am very glad I live in Johnson County and have you there as representatives. Eleanor, thank you very much for introducing the bill that would widen the, or expand the amount of time that people would have to vote absentee. This question is for you and the rest of the people on the panel. What do you think are the chances of that passing? And do you see, <laughs> are there any other possibilities in making changes to the legislation that was passed a couple years ago? Uh, among the things that were most troubling, the um, hoops people have to jump through to authorize someone to return an absentee ballot. Thank you. I'll, I'll start and just be very brief. Um, my my beginning in, in local, you know, getting involved in local <coughs> politics was through registering voters. Um, so that's something I'm really passionate about and making sure that people have access to voting. Um, and so the bill that I introduced would simply reset our absentee voting timeline to the 40 days it was prior to the changes. Um, I think there might be somebody else up here who's maybe looking at legislation. I don't know if they want to talk about it. Anybody want to say anything? Well, well, I mean, one, one, one voting change I will put on everyone's radar, um, and, and it hasn't had a subcommittee yet, but HF65, um, which I want to thank uh, John Deeth for giving me some numbers on. But um, what this bill would do, it's, it's pretty disastrous, especially for a community like Iowa City. Um, it would say that all election day, same day registrants, of which there were over 3,000 in Johnson County, 3, yeah, uh, in November, uh, would have to vote provisional ballots. Um, this is really, really disastrous and a huge barrier to uh, the ability of especially young people like me to vote in our community. It's if you know you move every year or if you're a student at the university. Um, and so I'm, I'm really concerned about this type of legislation. And I think the question we should be asking is, why don't you want Iowans to vote? And it also places an intense extra burden on our county auditor's offices, which already work unimaginable hours and unimaginably hard to do what they do. Thank you. The challenge, of course, is that the restrictions that have been put in over the last zero to seven years worked. It worked for the Republican Party. And it's what made successful elections is by restricting the number of people voting. So it's going to be real hard to change a mind of someone who thinks or that they were duly elected when in fact there were hundreds if not thousands of people that didn't vote for a variety of reasons in their district. 
And that, quite frankly, is sad. The one other thing I'll say, you know, it, it also impacts all kinds of election. You know, there are Republicans who are not able to vote because of this. Uh, you know, we were all in June primaries. Uh, my district has almost all the dorms at the University of Iowa. Uh, so in my, our June primary, you know, a lot of students who maybe were out of town because school wasn't in session, uh, under the new timeline, there's pretty much no opportunity for them to vote and do the turnaround in time. Uh, and that's why we saw from the two campus precincts, um, very, very low turnout in that June primary, maybe less than 10 votes, if I remember correctly, and, and that's just wrong. Yeah, I don't, I, the Secretary of State has a bill, and I can't remember, I can't recall exactly what, um, what it would change. It would tweak a couple of the rules, I think, to make it easier for them. But in addition to the questions already been posed, my, I mean, the results are obvious, but my question is, what, what do you fear? Why do you fear voters? Actual people actually voting. Thank you. Thank you. This also seems like a good moment to, since we have an audience, remind people that PEOs are always needed and we have some elections coming up. So look at your county auditor's office website for details. <laughs> nice plug. Good morning. I'm Galen Wilbitter, League of Voters, League of Women Voters member for, for quite a while. I'm in. Adam and Janice are my two reps. I certainly appreciate both of you and, and Eleanor, our three new people. Um, so I guess, yeah, I have two questions. One is just more personal. I'm As difficult as things must be in Des Moines for all of you, I just wonder if you're able, especially the new people, to make connections with people on the other side of the aisle, if that can help. I'd like to hear a little bit about that. And the other question uh, is more to Dave Jacoby. I keep reading about the black bears, and uh, <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to find out a little bit more about that. It might not be quite as serious as some of our other problems, but that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, I think we put the black bears subcommittee in like half of the house lounge where there's always a bunch of other stuff going on. Assumed it would be, you know, the three members and maybe the guy from DNR, and then all of a sudden there it was like a you know, the circus came to town uh, over there with <laughs> Representative Jacoby. So I'm excited to hear more about that from him. Uh, you know, there have been really great opportunities to start to uh, form relationships with some of our colleagues. You know, uh, one bill I've been working on uh, is has to do with fentanyl test strips, uh, which are a tool that folks can use to, you know, stay safe or, or stay safer from uh, the fentanyl that is coming into our state and, and unfortunately taking a lot of lives. Um, you know, this is an issue that impacts a lot of rural and small town communities in Iowa. Um, and I have had really good conversations with some of my colleagues uh, on both sides of the aisle about this. And, you know, I'm continuing to, to have those conversations and work on it. So I think you're, you're totally right that there are those uh, opportunities. Um, conversations can also be really frustrating when you hear from your colleagues on the other side of the aisle that they didn't actually think this vouchers thing was such a good idea and their arms were just twisted. Uh, so there's, there's that too. Yeah, I'm, having, I'm having awesome conversations with a wide variety of members of the House, new and returning, um, about, about things like protecting voter personally identifying, identifiable information. Um, there are some states that have gone ahead and taken the step of making it illegal for, so voter rolls are public, are public record. People can purchase them from, go to the county auditor's office, you can see the voter rolls. Um, 
But some states have taken the step of making it illegal to take those voter rolls with all of everybody's personal information, which is a treasure trove for identity theft, and publishing it online. Well, 2.2 million Iowans full voter rolls were posted online last year. Um, so that's something I've been talking with folks about, and I think there's a good chance that we're going to get some, some, something done on that. Um, I'm also talk having good conversations about eminent domain and carbon capture pipelines. That's an issue that everybody is concerned about. Um, and then there's a couple of other th conversations that are ongoing. I, I'm drawing a blank right now. But yeah, we're, there's a lot of us who are new, and we're all just getting to know one another. And I think that's actually been, in many ways, a very positive thing. Your fun fact about how the House and Senate are, are seated is that the, the House is, they, they are seated sort of mixed, uh, Republicans, Democrats. In the Senate, we're separate, so you actually have to make more of an They're effort. Siloed. We have like little wedge at one side. So you have to make somewhat more of an effort. I have been making an effort. I'm getting to know people. That's one of, that's one of my goals. Um, I have a, a Christina Bohannon-like goal, which is to become sort of one of the go-to people, as she was fairly early on, on is this legal? Is this constitutional? Is this even a, something that we can do as a state law? Uh, and um, the, the, a group, an outside group, had puts together, has put together for the last 48 years a lawyer-legislator dinner. So I went to that this past Wednesday, and that was a really good opportunity to just get to know a number of, of colleagues on, 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 on both sides of the aisle from a different perspective. So that's one, it's just sort of trying to look at, find where there are interest points in common, find where someone, um, someone has something that they care about. So yes, that's, that's completely a thing, and it's, it's one of the only ways to get things done. Well, thank you, Gail. And uh, the bill that you referenced happens to be the one I referenced a few minutes ago that through great work, Adam got it to a subcommittee because it is a Democrat bill. It's mine. So it, we did have a subcommittee, and it was a large number of people in the House chamber to listen in. The title, and it truly is about hunting black bear, but what I'm really looking forward to is the discussion on unprotected animals, unprotected species. It's trying to steer away from the, hey, it moved, shoot it, <laughs> mentality to let's have a little science, a little, you know, if we develop as animals populate or repopulate Iowa, let's have a system that determines if they should be uh, fur harvested or hunted. And that, that was kind of my indication. I was worried uh, two years ago they had uh, four black bear that were spotted, excuse me, spotted in Northeast Iowa. And I just wanted to make sure that people weren't gonna shoot them because they were moving, that we had a policy toward uh, unprotected species in Iowa. Okay. Um. Yes, go ahead. Hi, I'm Barbara Helmick. Um, I just moved back to Iowa after 45 years uh, living away. Uh, the biggest chunk of time uh, was in Washington, D.C., uh, where I had no representation in Congress and had all of a dozen elected officials who covered all state, county, city, everything. Uh, very efficient, but not much democracy, and um, most of it was fake because Congress can, and you'll be seeing all kinds of terrible things <coughs> being suggested for the people of D.C. Uh, but now that I'm back after 45 years away, one of the things I'm just stunned by is how many factory farms have changed the landscape of 
uh, our state. So what, what's the legislature looking at uh, with the factory farm issue? There's a bill in the House, um, I believe it's been filed, um, that Representative Art stayed. No? I don't think so. Oh, I really shouldn't say that then. Um, I know there's 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 language being floated around at least um, uh, that would that's be, that's been proposed in the past, in previous years. Um, I think it's, it's my reading is that it's substantially the same um, legislation that's been proposed in previous years to have a moratorium on future CAFO operations with the definition I believe being the requirement of a manure management plan. Um, CAFOs being confined. Let's see, I'm going to get it wrong. Animal. Confined animal feeding operations. Thank you. Um, and again, it's a look to the look where the money is um, issue as far as whether that will even get a subcommittee. Barbara, welcome back. Uh, it's, it's great. It's great to have you back in Iowa. And um, I, uh, you're, but you're absolutely right. Uh, agriculture has changed dramatically. You said in 45 years that you you were away. Um, you know, I think there there are predominantly two key issues with the current system of uh, industrial livestock production. One of them is air quality, right? Um, pig poop is very smelly, and it really affects the quality of life for a lot of people who live around those buildings. And the second is water quality. Now, I would, speaking personally, I would rather have farmers putting manure on fields than like in hydrous ammonia uh, in terms of a fertilizer, right? But when that manure is applied in a way where it doesn't comply with the manure management plan, and you have a big rainstorm come through and that gets washed into the creek and then runs into the stream and then runs into the river, that creates challenges for all of us, you know, the humans who drink water, which is all of us, right? And that is creating huge challenges, not just for those of us who live in larger cities, but especially for smaller towns where they have, because they have declining tax bases, they can't keep up with having uh, water treatment systems to actually treat the water that they're drinking. And so although this issue is often presented as an urban versus rural issue, the reality is that issues of air quality and water quality affect all of us. And I think one thing that regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican, whether or not you're a hog farmer or whether or not you live in, in Coralville, we can probably all agree the current system is not working. And so far, industry has not been able to bring forward a plan to actually improve the situation. Now, as long as Republicans control the legislature, the House and the Senate, you are not going to see any real solutions move forward. It is that simple. However, I do think that more work can be done to try and figure out what are the things that we can do, even in a Republican-dominated legislature, to try and make improvements on these issues of especially air quality and water quality, because no matter who you are and what letters after your name, we can agree the status quo is not working. And I'd, I'd add one short short piece to that, which is the people who have private wells are in probably the worst situation of all, and they largely live out in the countryside. Yes, yes, go ahead. Hi, my name is Brian Flaherty. I live in Coralville, uh, and uh, I understand that uh, more taxpayer resources, more state resources are going to be going to private schools after this week. I disagree with that policy position, but I guess I'm content with it as a citizen because I believe in elections and I believe elections have consequences. Um, I am, I wanted to say to you all, I listened to the debate. I was, uh, I, I wish that there had been more discussion about how uh, public schools protect my freedom 
uh, because they provide for an educated citizenry that has a baseline education that, can, that I can engage in a discussion with someone. I only have one vote, they only have one vote, but we have a baseline education. We can agree or disagree on a policy position or on something like an amendment to the state constitution. Uh, I also wish that there had been more discussion about how public education, particularly public schools, prevent sectionalism and factionism. Uh, I also wish that there had been a little bit more discussion, or at least some exploration, about the foundational argument made by some advocates of the bill based on substantive due process. Uh, all of that being said, I have a question now about the bill as it relates to going forward. Uh, for a short time, I resided in Clayton, Iowa, population approximately 57. Uh, it, did, it had a public school building that had been shuttered for a long time, but I think everybody basically agree that there shouldn't be a public school building in a, in a city population 57. I live in Coralville. Coralville, I think everybody would agree, has a population big enough to have a physical public school in it. Now that we've had a change in policy in the state so that we no longer have a public school system, we have a publicly funded school system. Where in that spectrum, or has the, has the line in that spectrum changed for you of where the minimum population is for a community in uh, the state to have a physical public school in it? Has that changed at all based off the change in policy that the state has implemented this last week? Thank you very much for all of your work and thank you for entertaining my question. I think that's that's a great question. Thank you, Brian. Uh, you know, one of the things, experiences I didn't get a chance to talk about uh, in my floor speech, but I was thinking about a lot this week was working up in Northwest Iowa uh, during the 2019 caucuses and a night I spent in Remsen, Iowa, in, up in Plymouth County. Um, their school, I, I don't quite remember the name of it, but there's five letters because it's so many schools that have consolidated. Uh, you know, and you see these acronym schools all over the state. Um, and, and I was up there trying to find a precinct captain for, for Pete Buttigieg for the caucus. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking around town. I, don't, I can't find anybody. Uh, so I, I message a friend of mine who has family up there. She says, well, you have to go to the volleyball game. Uh, so I, I get to the high school. You know, people are parked in the street. People are parked a mile away. This volleyball game was packed. Uh, and the reason is, is that, you know, in Remsen, Iowa, that's the only show in town on a Tuesday night. Um, and, and that's the impact our public schools have on our communities. Um, it, it's so much more than just the children, which are obviously so important. Um, and so I, I think you're right to say that this places all of that into question because the line is not determined by any of us. The line is determined by what schools can fund with the money they get from property taxes and from the state. Um, and, and so we're going to continue to see rural schools close. Um, and, and what we know is that, you know, you lived up in, in Clayton, uh, people don't buy houses in towns that don't have schools. That's why you see when these schools consolidate these agreements where the elementary schools in one town, the middle schools in another town, and the high schools in the third one, because they all know as if their town doesn't have a school, their town is a zombie in terms of it's functionally dead. Um, and so I'm, I'm really concerned about the impact this will have on rural Iowa you know, the smallest elementary school in our school district, ICCSD, and the one with declining numbers is Hills. Um, and I, I really wish the representative from Hills was here, or who represents Hills, was here to talk about the impact it might have on the elementary school there. 
Um, and, and I'm concerned about that. Well, Brian, it, w what I've seen, population is the key question, but the other part is distance, and Adam kind of mentioned that. And distance is what I see. My wife is from Rockwell City, Iowa, which is roughly 20 miles west of Fort Dodge and 20 miles east of Sac City. They, of course, have uh, uh, the way to, that you get out of kindergarten is being able to spell the name of your school district because <laughs> it's 12 counties and the number of districts. <laughs> at some point, and I would have guessed that we were at that breaking point, but we're not yet, that distance is going to determine some of the decisions that people make about public schools and rural areas. Because at some point, because uh, I talk to people up there, and they're driving, they're going to school, and then they're driving not only an hour to school, but an hour to wrestling practice at a different school. And at some point, I don't know how families can sustain that. I, I don't have an answer when that breaking or turning point is, but I would have to think it's sometime soon. My, my question to which I don't have an answer either is, given the distances as broadband is built out across rural Iowa, what will be the role of virtual schools despite anything the, the, the governor and others have to say about pluses and minuses of, of virtual school um, what role will that pay and what money will they get? Brian, I, I totally agree about your comment about factionalism. I, I spoke to that briefly in my remarks about how in this moment of divided political climate, we need to be bringing people together, not pushing them further apart, which is exactly what the governor's plan is going to do. It's going to result in a system that has less cohesion and as a result, a less cohesive citizenry. That's what's going to happen, and it's it's a it's a real shame. I mean, the 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 role, and, and to be clear, by the way, there's not anything wrong with private education. I went to the Iowa City Community School Districts. I went to Weber Elementary, Northwest Junior High, Iowa City West High School, and the University of Iowa. I have attended a private school in my life, and for some people, that is okay. But the role of public education is to turn, you know. Uh, little hellions, uh, along with their parents, of course, into well-adjusted young adults who can participate in our democracy. That is a core function of what public education exists to do. And by privatizing that function, the governor is, is using taxpayer money, our, our taxpayer money, to accelerate the wedge being pushed in be between people. That is precisely why it is, is so dangerous. <clears throat> I'm Donna Hurst. I live in the North Central uh, Iowa City. Um, I understand that the voucher bill <coughs> requires that um, students go to uh, accredited private schools. And I'm wondering if you anticipate changes in the rules for how schools will be accredited around the state. Republicans are already talking about it. Also, it would it, it, it's hard to plan for changes to a system that we already don't know what the rules are. Um, the accreditation system for private schools in Iowa is basically they can either have an on-site visit by the Department of Education or they can be accredited by any one of, I believe it's seven or eight uh, national organizations, none of which are headquartered in Iowa. Um, who do not tell us what their accreditation standards are. So it, it, it's, it's hard to change the rules when the rules already aren't public. Yeah, I, I think. Mean, you can change them. But. 
what I would see as one of the top three biggest lies Republicans have told about this bill is that accreditation for private schools means that they're held to a similar or the same standard as public schools. I think as Representative Levin just, just sort of laid out, that is just simply not the case. Um, and so there's a whole lot of regulations, including some of the ones we talked about today that are being proposed by the, le by the legislature um, that would further you know, manage public schools in our state that private schools are not accountable to. Yeah, I, I read the statutes that have to do with accreditation, and there's a whole list of things that public schools have to comply with in order to get accredited. And then you get down to section whatever it is that says, non-public schools do not need to apply to comply with any of the above if they are accredited by one of these other organizations. So um, there's already um, a substantial gap. And as, they, as my colleague said, you don't see basically, you know, in math, math problems, they always tell you you have to show your work. They're not showing us the work. We have time for one more question. Fabulous. Um, like others have, I want to thank you all. If I was in your spot, my head would have popped off um, <laughs> by now several times. Um, my <laughs> Dave, yeah, Dave's <laughs> typically does. Um, my name is Susan Villita, um, and I live in mm. Swisher, and I've been to many of these, and it's very rare um, that, um, unfortunately, any of the Republicans show up for me to ask my questions to them. So I know I'm often preaching to the choir. My, um, my question or my comments, different topics. Topic. I've been working in tobacco control and prevention for about 15 years and um, I realize we're not going to get anywhere on increasing any sort of tax rates that's something that works um, for in tobacco control but do you think um, you could get some traction on the side of maybe making sure that the vaping devices um, that those taxes are at least comparable and finally protecting those poor folks that work in casinos from secondhand smoke, because the rest of us have those that protection, but those folks don't. Um, any comments on that topic would be fabulous. Vaping is, I've, I was working myself out of a job with cigarettes, folks, but now vaping is a whole other story. Thank you. Yeah, the, the, the casino carve out um, of the, the uh, Clean Air Act was a, a compromise that was made to get it over the finish line. Um, and it's that's a part of how sausage gets made in politics. Um, I think it was Otto van Bismarck who made that uh, that observation a long, long time ago. Um, in terms of you know support for for changing that, I mean I think probably everybody up here would support removing that exemption. Uh, we know the negative effects it has on on folks who um, work in those places and also the folks who patronize those places. So, um, unfo but unfortunately, that's uh, low on the priority list right now for the majority. I just wanted to mention, you know. The legislation, you know, that bans smoking indoors uh, in public is is real public health win. Um, and I think, you know, we've talked about a lot of failures uh, in the last couple hours here. I think we need to focus on the successes. Um, and, and, you know, public health is a really, really important thing. It only works if we deal with it in the public sphere and make sure that, you know, it's being applied everywhere. Um, and I think, you know, the success of that legislation um, has changed the lives of so many Iowans. Um, and so we should continue, uh, when, when we see something in the past that was a success, uh, we should continue to focus on things like public health. And I think, you know, being, being 23, I see vaping all around me. 
uh, very, very concerned about the lack of regulation, about some of the predatory um, practices that have used and marketing. marketing practices that have been used to advertise these uh, essentially to children. Um, and so I, I think that's a great question. I appreciate it. In ways and means in the House, we do have a bill. It's not yet numbered a lot because everyone was focused on vouchers, uh, which we should be. Uh, there is a bill concerning the taxation of vaping products. And also long-term, I believe Cedar Rapids and its consistent push to try to get uh, a gambling, a casino of sorts in Lynn County, that that is their newest selling point, is that they will build a casino that is smoke-free. It's an interesting point if, if people lean toward gambling that way. I do remember because I was there during the vote on eliminating smoking in public places. And I remember the number of people who told me it will close our bars and restaurants. <laughs> I think we have some bars and restaurants that are still <laughs> open. In fact, some really picked it up. So uh, I think based on that experience, hopefully we will get there sooner than later. I also think we're going to regret uh, we're going to miss our prior attorney general <clears throat> when it comes to helping file class large uh, lawsuits and bring uh, and bring uh, funds into this state as as he did in enormous amounts from tobacco and opioid settlements well actually we're really filing suit for the president's loan repayment plan so oh i guess that isn't a good one so it's i want to just thank you for your work on tobacco and smoke that's incredibly important thank you okay uh, thanks to all of you, those with questions and those with responses, uh, for an informative session. We will conclude this forum with closing remarks from each of our legislators. Legislators will have three minutes uh, for their remarks, uh, beginning with Senator Zach Walls. Well, thanks again uh, for the great conversation this morning. And again, my apologies for being a little distracted by uh, what's happening over in Des Moines with the State Central Committee meeting. I do have good news, which is that after two hours and 12 minutes, the State Central Committee has approved today's agenda, and they are moving forward. So, you know, it's, it's taking a little while, but we're, we're, we're getting, getting going in the right direction. Obviously, there's a lot of work ahead uh, for the legislature, uh, a lot of work ahead for uh, those of us up here who belong to the Democratic Party. Um, I've really appreciated all your involvement uh, in today's discussion, uh, your close attention to what's happening under the Golden Dome. We will continue to do our best to keep all of you informed. If you are not already signed up for your representative or senator's legislative email newsletter, please be sure to come find one of us and get signed up. We send out a weekly uh, roundup with all of the, the news and everything that you need to know, uh, and it's the best way to stay informed about what's happening in your state legislature. Thank you. Uh, Senator Janice Weiner, District 45. Thank you all for calling, for coming. Thank you all for your excellent questions. Um, what I would love to see going forward is some focus on items that will actually help Iowans. We need to replenish the Veterans Trust Fund, which ran out of money. We need universal pre-K with wraparound, with wraparound care. We need higher childcare wages. We need to feed our kids. Um, and I would urge all of you, as I think a couple of people have done, to continue contacting people. Don't just contact us. Contact, um, contact the legislators who are not here. If you have family members who live or friends who live in areas with Republican legislators, please urge them to contact their legislators. Um, we, we will continue try, doing our best to represent you. My email 
legislative email is, I, this is along the model is janice.weiner at uh, ledges.iowa.gov. Um, and I'm going to do, for anybody who's interested, I'm going to try something out. I have a sort of a follow-on forum or, or, or listening post for anyone who's interested in continuing these conversations booked at 1130 at meeting room B in the public library. Okay. So you. please join me. Uh, Legislators are welcome as well. <laughs> uh, Representative Dave Jacoby, District 86. Thank you again for the forum today. And I'll just close on the note that I mentioned a few minutes ago, student loan debt. Uh, I think we saw the numbers. There's over 100,000 young people in the state of Iowa that have lingering student loan debt, whether it's a year old or 10 years old. And if we want young people to stay in the state of Iowa, then we need to give them a chance to stay here. $10,000 is a good start to help forgive student loans so that these skilled young people get to stay in the state of Iowa. And I'm not just saying that because I have a daughter. <laughs> but it, 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 it's important that we give them the chance to stay here. And let's stay on that topic, too. Uh, Representative Amy, I'm sorry, Amy Nielsen, District 85. Well, now that's a first. Whoever gets Amy wrong. Um, sorry, Eliza. Um, I guess thank you all uh, so much for being here today. Thank you to the league for doing this um, consistently. It's um, you know it's a great way for us to be able to talk to everybody, and we really appreciate um, we appreciate that. Um, as, as Representative Zabner mentioned earlier, going forward, I, a lot of my time um, and energy is going to be spent on a state uh, government reorganization bill that the governor has just sent to us, which is 1,600 pages long. And we both considered bringing in our copies today, <laughs> but we already have some shoulder pain, a little bit of back pain. We, my forklift doesn't work. Yeah, now, so. we thought, <laughs> thought we'd just, you know, it's about this big. It's about this big. Um, I am very fortunate to have Representative Zabner on state government with me um, and fortunate that I felt like he could um, be very helpful in diving through that um, bill, which brings me back to once again, our new members are amazing. And I, as someone who was a new member once, <laughs> um, way back when, um, I, ju I just don't think we can say enough how much these two, three have been through, but uh, I know more about these two, sorry, <laughs> Senator. Um, how much they've been through in the last three weeks after going through a very rough campaign season. And um, so I, I just don't think we can praise them enough and just thank them for continuing to show up. Um, and, and thank you for running. And I wanna say thank you to Eileen Barron for her role in um, running against someone to help keep Heather Hora accountable. Um, and thank you for staying engaged and being here today, Eileen. Okay, uh, uh, next, uh, Representative Eleanor Levin, is that right? <laughs> yes. Okay, um, she happens to be my representative, so I'm glad to know how to pronounce her name. Uh, there, District 89. There are four different names to pronounce my, <laughs> four different ways to pronounce my last name, and we heard them all. The, I, I genuinely did not think I would be the one coming in, and the clerks three weeks in would be like, fearing when they get to my name on the roll call because it's it's been a free-for-all it's hilarious and I 
don't care. Um, <laughs> but I wanted to say, just first of all to Amy, we asked for this. <laughs> I mean, we asked for it over and over and over, and I'm thrilled to be doing this work. Um, it It is tough and it is frustrating, but it's also incredible. I mean, I can't tell you how motivating it is to hear from someone in my district, to hear from someone who's been a friend of my mother's uh, for since long before I was born, who lives in my district, to hear from those of you with whom I have served on committees and with whom I have worked on projects, and to hear from my friends back in South District, and um, really feel like I know what I was sent to Des Moines to do, um, and that's that's what I'm trying to do. And it's it's a strange system, and we're all figuring it out. Um, but showing up to events like this, and especially, I do want to thank those who are watching online because I know you're there because you're texting me <laughs> and distracting me. Um, this is how I got started being involved in politics, and it is incredibly helpful to hear from everyone, not just during election season when we're all pulled in 7,000 directions, but during the legislative season when we are focused in on this. Um, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to see some of the other representatives posting you know, their, their legislative, or their uh, check-ins, or whatever you want to call them, coffee. Or, um, I have my um, January check-in coming up tomorrow. I will be at El Paso in the South District, around the corner from the VFW. Uh, from noon to two, stop in and chat if you're a District 89 folk. Um, but also just come find me anytime, email, call, however, you know, smoke signals, send a letter, whatever's the best way. I'm not great at interpreting smoke signals, but I'll, signals, but I'll try. Um, because hearing from folks back home is really incredibly helpful, especially when we do get into pieces of legislation that aren't so black and white, things that are really challenging to decide to figure out what's going to be best for my district what's going to be best for Iowa it is incredibly helpful to hear from people about how it's going to impact them so please never hesitate to reach out even if you feel like oh somebody already probably said this probably not so tell us what you have to say thank you so much uh, representative Ad Adams Abner district 90 yes last again uh, you know, there's nothing like 12 days in Des Moines to really make you appreciate Iowa City. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm so appreciative of everyone coming out in the snow, uh, being around people who are thinking critically about the legislation uh, that we're voting on in Des Moines, uh, which I can't say is always true of the folks actually hitting the button. Um, and, you know, I, I want to echo what Representative Levin said you know, hearing from you all was a huge part of making it through this week um, and remembering who I'm fighting for, you know, the teachers that came up to Des Moines, having the opportunity to introduce them, to tell those stories, and, and please continue to reach out. Uh, please continue to hold, you know, all 100 of us accountable. Um, I also want to thank uh, Representative Jacoby and Representative Nielsen, um, who have just been incredible to lean on in these first three weeks. Um, you know, getting the context of some of these issues that have been floating around for a while. Um, you know, hearing some words we're not allowed to say at forums uh, <laughs> from Representative Jacoby, and, and that's just been uh, invaluable. Yeah, I haven't heard Representative Nielsen cuss too much, but. We <laughs> <laughs> have not spent enough time together. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's just, I, I'm really honored to have this 
job. Um, I've learned so much in the last 12 days. I've, I've started to work on some issues uh, that I'm really passionate about, that I know folks in the district are really passionate about, um, and it's just an incredible opportunity. Um, I want to leave you all with a challenge. You know, I know you all asked a lot of us. I want to ask of you all, you know, pull out your phone after this forum, look at the last three people you texted, you text, sent text messages to, and, and just make sure they know about one of these issues that really spoke to you, whether it's the SNAP issue, whether it's the vouchers issue, whether it's something else. Because, you know, as we've pointed to, you know, it's great to have engaged folks that come to these forums, but, but not everyone is aware, you know, not everything that happens at the legislature breaks through. Um, and in two years, we need to see a different legislature than we have now, because clearly the one we have now is not sufficient to deal with the problems that Iowans are facing. Um, and so just, just make sure that you're making folks aware, you know, start asking folks if they're registered to vote. It's never too, important, too, too, too early to do that, as I'm sure League of Women Voters members all know and, and take in their daily lives. You know, a lot of you have uh, the forms in your backpacks or, you know, carrying them around in the car or whatever. Uh, but, you know, just, you know, the onus is on every single one of us to make sure that people are informed about what's going on and what's going wrong and how we can change the legislature. Thank you. Thank you. This isn't in my script, but I would like to point out that Vicki Aiden here is our league person in charge of voter registration and does a fabulous job and would be <laughs> and, and would be very happy to have people let her know if they're interested in volunteering when uh, we start registering voters again. Um, and we do go to the university. We go to all over uh, the county registering people. Uh, we're nonpartisan in doing so. Um, so, so please uh, volunteer if you have time uh, this, these, in these coming months. Thank you for the local. Uh, thank you to the local television staff for recording this event and live streaming it on the league's Facebook page. Thanks to all those who are listening on the uh, Facebook page. Rebroadcasts of this forum will be run on Iowa City Channel 4, Coral Vision, and North Liberty TV. See the respective websites for programming. Our next forum will focus on health care. It will be held February 25th from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. here in the Center Assembly Room. Please join us. Thank you. <laughs>